Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent AWA podcast and video on the World Wide Web. And I realize that I probably should have shut the shade behind me, but I'll do that later. Uh, my name is Chris Tubbs. This is a, another really fun, uh, it's a very unique episode that we got because we are getting a perspective of women's wrestling from somebody that was there, somebody firsthand, uh, somebody that was a part of it, and, and I'm really excited to uh, to bring her in in uh, just a little bit. But let's bring in, uh, first of all, two guys that I'm uh, very thankful um, that I, uh, how do I say this nicely? You I'm love very, us. I, I love you. I'm going to let Dixie be a part of this just because the first time that I talked to her, I absolutely love her. She's good people, so she's going to be part of our intro here. And uh, Dixie Jordan, a.k.a. Uh, Princess Little Cloud. Um, Dixie, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been watching it faithfully. Oh, thank you. Mixed uh, one. Hey. <laughs> oh, <right. geez>. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mick will uh, get that check in the mail. As he told me, it'll, uh, the check will bounce over there. See, I used your line against you, Mick. But He's nobody knows paid. it because nobody heard it. He's hey. getting paid? Yeah, uh, well... No, I subject. asked for a check. <laughs> oh, a check. Oh, a check. Oh, yeah. that's different than getting paid. <laughs> um, before we get to it, uh, you guys, we got some really cool things coming up. Um, we've got our first live show coming up. Want to tell you about that at Lift Bridge Brewery. I'm going to put the uh, link right there on the bottom. It's June 11th, and as a matter of fact, I've got it. Uh, have, I haven't opened it yet, but it is my uh, uh, Juicy. IPA, courtesy of uh, LiftBridge. We're going to be out there on June 11th before the Midwest All-Star Wrestling Card. The doors open. The tap room opens at noon. Uh, our show is going to kick off at 2. We're going to have some giveaways. Uh, we're going to have some trivia. Just a whole bunch of uh, wrestling that afternoon, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, let's see, uh, Soda Stick, of course. If you've got your AWA Unleashed t-shirt, thank you for mm -hmm. that. Um, I'll, you know, we'll be sporting ours uh, momentarily. We have something very special um, from uh, Soda Stick. I've actually been talking to them, guys, and, and we're so close to uh, actually having them sent. We've got a one-of-a-kind item from Soda Stick that's coming. It's coming your way. So be on the lookout for it because we're going to have it. We're going to show it to you, and you guys have a chance to get your very own one-of-a-kind item, custom-made just for you and when i say custom made that's legit would you say it's custom made mick george would you i mean is that is that fair to say yeah whatever whatever you say you're the boss it, it is it is custom made and everybody that's been clamoring for stuff is going to be excited right out of their shorts when they see this so i don't know if we want that to happen yeah that's well, a little that's, that's a little, true that may be to the extreme well want... and women don't necessarily wear shorts there george this is true. This is true. See, I, that was uh, this, that was a little. Gonna be, this is going to be a wild one. I can tell. Oh man, you know what? I uh, just want to tell you: uh, rate, review, subscribe um, on all of your favorite podcast platforms: YouTube, uh, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Amazon. Um, rate, reviewing, and subscribing, guys. That's a that's a big time way to help us grow. Um, and if you want to do your part to help us. 
Uh, it's just a little click, a little button dealy. It's super easy. I mean, my God, if George and Mick can do it, you can do it. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. We, we, we get tossed under the bus, man. You, you are vile. I mean, you people, people don't know what you say to me off air. I mean, I'm a gentle flower. You hurt my feelings. You make me have to drink in the morning, but that's okay. Cause I don't mind drinking in the morning or in the afternoon or whatever. You know, I've uh, been this show for a while chris i like the way you're trying to keep them in their place i like that you were yeah she used the word try you noticed that i was thinking i I I was thinking we were going to have dixie as an ally here but i guess not it's me and you mick against the two of them i would have warned you ahead of time trust me me and you it's a handicap match and we're the (laughs) handicap Hey, I'll take, uh, I'm on Team Dixie any day of the week, twice on Sundays. Uh, yeah, let's uh, do it. You'll be doing the job for us. We're going to, we're going over on you guys. Um, let's go ahead and get into it now. Um, Mick, why don't you go ahead and kick it off? I mean, what's nice about this is you three have a long standing friendship. And I think that adds so much to the conversation that we're going to have today. So uh, Mick, I'll let you go ahead and, uh, and kick it off. Well, you know, we've talked so many times about the trailblazers in pro wrestling and those that paved the way for the stars of today and the golden era and all that stuff. And uh, Dixie Jordan, a.k.a. Princess Little Cloud, was part of that era going back to the uh, mid-1960s. And she was there at a time when wrestling was much, much different than it is today. Obviously, kayfabe wasn't broken Back then, there she is right there. Uh, It it was an entirely different world. It wasn't sports entertainment. It was wrestling. And people went to the matches, and a good portion of the crowd that went believed what they were seeing. And the the competitors defended the business to a fault, which I think is great. And uh, it's an era that, sadly, there's not a lot of footage uh, going back to those days, a lot of the promoters would tape over uh, their shows every week. They, they would blast them, as they say, in the business, and, and then you had nothing. And to my knowledge, there is only one short clip of Dixie Jordan, Princess Little Cloud, wrestling that you can see on the Internet. I believe it was against Moolah. And it's, uh, it, you, know, it's you know, an old black and white where, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, just a different age. Mm-hmm. But I am thrilled to have Dixie Jordan on board, Princess Little Cloud, and welcome to you. You know, I, I'm not sure with that kind of an introduction how much I, I like being like part of the really old guard. You might have said the beginning of the modern era, but instead, nope, you stuck me squarely in the 40s and 30s and 20s. Okay. Whoa. Did I only go back that far? Yes, dear. Oh. We went back that far. Wow. Wow. Well, go ahead, Georgie. Well, I was going to say, you know, (laughs) the main part of our show today is that we really want to talk about an age in wrestling when ladies wrestling was really not given the respect Mm -hmm. and the coverage that it truly deserved. And one of the things that we've talked about privately is that in ladies wrestling back in the day, It was presented as a novelty act, and that's something that shouldn't have been. 
And though it's different today in the WWE circus, um, I'm not sure that's an improvement. But Dixie Jordan was one of those trailblazers, regardless of what era you want to talk about. Um, She was... She was seriously, Dixie. You, you the hole is deeper, George. You, uh, yeah, I know. Well, I like deep holes. The the um, it, it was a good time in wrestling with some great lady wrestlers, and you were one of them. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Um, I, I just want to ask you, Dixie. Like, did you have an athletic background before you got into wrestling? I mean, what what was it that that really drew you to the industry? <laughs> I, I got drawn to the industry when my family got electricity in our house for the first time. And, <laughs> and Mick was telling her she was going back to the 20s. And well, there's still people living without electricity in West Virginia. And, and believe me. Uh, anyway, we got electricity and we could see these little gray images crawling across the screen. Um, and I thought, well, I can do that. I could beat them, especially when I would see people like Moolah um, doing that giant swing they do where they toss someone across the ring or out of the ring. I thought, gee, that doesn't look so hard. I can do that. So um, then I decided that's what I was going to do. I'm going to be a pro wrestler. That's all there is to it. So I, I know that the one name that people, if you ask the casual fan to name one famous woman in the world of professional wrestling more times than not it's going to come back to moolah uh so i mean how did you because we hear all of these infamous stories you know good and bad uh, about moolah but a lot of it for us is secondhand how did you get involved in hooking up with moolah and getting trained underneath her i went to the wrestling matches in a town called hagerstown maryland and um, there was w- women on the card, and so I got really interested in them. And that very night, um, I had my mom stop by a 24-hour drugstore and buy a magazine, a wrestling magazine. And in it was an ad by Buddy Lee and Moolah looking for women wrestlers. And I was 16 at the time. I said, I want to write that letter, and I did. And my mom and my brother drove me to South Carolina for the training camp with the stipulation that I would turn around and come back in the fall and get back in school. I was a really good student. So there was an expectation that at least one of these kids was going to go finish school. Um, But wrestling was so enticing and so fun and so profoundly interesting to someone who'd never been out of a small town before that I decided I was staying and I did. That's all there was to it, very simple. Dixie, I got a question about the, the Moolah camp going back then. Do you remember uh, any of the names, the, the ladies that were in the camp at the same time as you were? Uh, was well, like Ann Casey, uh, for example. Who's that? <laughs> no, that? That was a bad joke. Ann Casey was never there as far as I know. Um, but when I started, because I can only talk about what I know, when I started, it was Betty Boucher. Tony Rose, and I think Betty had been in the business for about a year before me, and Tony about a month before me. Um, a gal named Donna Christian Tello, um, who turned out to be a, a really good wrestler over time. Um, Linda Carroll, and she had a sister whose name I can't recall. Um, and, and of course, 
we lived in a house next door to Mula. It's kind of an interesting thing because Mula had two small houses. She lived in one and we lived in the other. Um, and so what was normal for them became normal for us. For instance, in this small house, I, we could hear somebody playing the banjo one day or the guitar. And we look out back and finally walk across the yard to see what's going on. And there's a young man playing the guitar in the backyard. His name was, let me see if I can remember it, um, Hank Williams Jr. Wow. And, but, but you see, that was normal. We thought that was normal. Um, and it wasn't. But we were so young that everything seemed new and, and interesting at the time. There was a gal named Rita Cortez who lived in Mula's house. Um, and then there were comings and goings of all kinds of girls as they started or renewed um, their acquaintances at that place. So it was interesting. You're up, Georgie. Well, one of the things that I get interested in is when you start mentioning some of these names, I guess, Dixie, what I'd like to hear is maybe if you have some stories uh, intertwining your career as you started out and then maybe as you advanced in your career with some of the ladies that you traveled with, how that went. That's a tall order. Um, I, I, was, I was a kid and so everything for me was new and fun. Um, and it was for the girls too. When you start talking about it as a career, I never saw it that way. I was an athlete. I got to perform, you know, and, and that was the fun part. Um, and so I never looked at it as a career. I was a wrestler and I was going to win every match. We didn't know when we first started, by the way, that, that the winner was announced by the promoter. This was new for us. By the time we figured that out, we were halfway through training camp, um, at wow. least. And we used to practice in, in a um, garage behind Mula's house uh, on a concrete floor that had a mat on it. Um, and we all did. We were doing drop kicks on that floor back in the day when um, it's probably today it would be too dangerous to even attempt. Wow. Um, so we formed a group of friends. Tony Rose was my best friend in the business. Um, she was someone I could go to if things weren't going well for me, or if I had questions, or if I was mad at somebody, which back in those days, I occasionally became angry. Um, and Betty Boucher was, she was just on the scene. We worked out together. She's the person who was, she and I were the ones who were up first and in that gym first. And I made a joke a little bit about Ann Casey, but it's because Ann Casey had announced to the world that she trained Moolah's girls. I never met her. I've never seen her. I, I've heard of her. Of course, she was very well known, but I didn't know her at all. So <laughs> things were different. How were you treated by promoters when you would go into territories? It depended on the territory. Uh, first of all, and I think it's really an important distinction between classic and modern day wrestling, we had territories and we worked for mm -hmm. people in specific territories and not in others. Yeah. Um, so we worked for Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, in his area and we were treated very well by Vince. It depended on where you went. Um, there were some very shady characters in the wrestling business. No. Um, 
Oh, I'm so sorry, Mick. I know that's not what you wanted to hear in a virgin little bubble somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Mick's virgin ears and his his perception on reality is now shot. I am so sorry. There was a, a, a gentleman named Gus Karras, who um, you shouldn't trust near your wallet or near your, your body because your wallet would turn up missing, um, <laughs> that never wanted to pay us. He would bill us um, using obnoxious and sometimes obscene names. Um, we would show up in a territory and all of a sudden we're somebody else. And huh. So you may find cards that we're not listed on anymore because some gal with a different name showed up. Um, and they were usually vulgar names, so I'm not going to repeat them. But um, I remember once stopping in the dressing room um, calling Moolah from the road and then turning around and saying to one promoter, um, we're not going on. And the girls were not the mainstay ever, but they were such an attraction. A lot of people came to see the girls. So not going on meant something. And um, yeah. we also learned if you don't pay us in advance, we're not going on. Uh, so it depended. It depended on what territory you were in. Uh, we had friends from across territories, but not very many, because the people, the camps, the Moolah's camp, for instance, which I was a member of, um, discouraged us from talking to the women from the other camps. So you have this limited circle of people that you have relationships with, necessarily, because they're they are either wow. lesbian, that's what you would hear. Don't go near that camp because they're lesbians, or you would hear... Don't go near that camp because they're tied in politically with somebody else who can hurt you or they're going to try to steal you away. All of that went on in all of the territories. Wow. That, that, that's fascinating. And, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, <clears throat> the more things change, the more they stay the same. In terms of the modern day wrestling, I can tell you firsthand there's a lot of that going on, you know, don't, don't work for this promoter. Don't, you know, if you're working for us, don't dare fraternize with the guy on the other side of the uh, street or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's the wrestling business. Uh, we, you, know, you talked about how the promoters treated you. How did the male wrestlers treat you? Obviously in this day and age, the, you know, the women have, almost equal billing to the men in a lot of cases. Back then, it wasn't quite that way. Um, no, it, it, it wasn't that way at all. And to be honest with you, when I first started, I had my heroes. You know, everyone did. Uh, there was Buddy Rogers and Johnny Valentine and a guy named Antonina Rocca, who wrestled as Argentina Rocca. And he was a particular hero of mine because he could make all these high-flying maneuvers that I wanted to emulate. And so I was a real fan of Argentina Rocca. I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread um, until I had to travel with him in a car. And he sat in the back seat and said the most obscene and vulgar things imaginable. I will not repeat them, but um, finally someone in the front seat stopped him and said, well, uh, you can't talk to her. She's just a kid. And he said to me, how old are you? And I said, 16 at which time he got worse. And, um. and so what I learned from that was you can't trust people. You can't take them at face value. Just because you're a baby face doesn't make you a nice guy. Just because you're a heel doesn't mean you're an ass. You know, you just have to learn 
that about people. And that was the best and most important lesson I ever learned in wrestling. It was one of the first ones. You know, Dixie, when you talk about that story, and of course you're being so young in the business and learning, and I mean 16, 17, 18 years old, that was my concern when you were talking about that, that you're around this predominantly male uh, business and, you know, how you were treated as a girl. And I mean, it almost appears from what you say that at times, uh, sadly, you were nothing more than just meat to them. I mean, they were like animals and that's sad. Um, yeah, but that's the exception. And, not the and, I, and I agree with you. That's probably the exception. But unfortunately, you had to deal with that. Yeah, and we didn't have the skills to deal with it. Right. So the girls became very close to one another. We became very good friends because I could tell Tony, watch out for that guy, or she could tell me. Um, and it was never the guy you would expect because mm-hmm. there were so many super, super nice people in wrestling. Uh, I, my best friends for years were wrestlers. It was difficult. See, I, I don't know that people understand what it was like for the women uh, versus the men, because we would go into a territory, stay a week, leave, go to the next territory. So we had to pack a suitcase for a month because we were on the road. Then we would get to go home and take a break. We couldn't make friends. There was no way because there was no time. So we became each other's friends. And I think that was uh, both a strength and a weakness. Um, but it's how we lived, that that's what it was. And you either really loved wrestling and wanted to do it because of the love of the sport, or you got out of it. And a lot of girls got out. Well, what was the, uh, I heard you talk one time about one of the longest trips that you guys took, uh, (laughs) where it it blew me away because to me, I can't comprehend this. What was the longest trip that, that you took in a car going from one territory to another Uh, we were on betty boucher's car and it was one of those i don't know the year it's some sort of a plymouth that has that v in the back Uh, so every time a semi would go by we'd get blown off the road Um, we drove from and i didn't have a driver's license i was a kid at the time so i never got a chance to get a license before we left so she drove most of the way uh tribute to her we went from Columbia, South Carolina to Vancouver, British Columbia for a week's worth of wrestling. It took a month to recover, but we Good were Lord. Wow. Yeah. See, and, and, and I mean, I wouldn't want to fly that, let alone have to drive it, because it's going to take you as much time to get there as it would to just be in the territory. And it just seems so, it seems so unfair to me, you guys, that the women would be subjective. It's like, go all the way there. You know, you're there for, you know, a couple of days and then you're just, you're back on the road. I, I mean, that just doesn't, See, I don't know, I, it just doesn't seem fair. Well, you know, fair is as fair does. You don't know what's fair when you're a kid. But the reality is that we would have done it probably for nothing if we had money for gas. Um, and I don't, we were in an era when the, the promoters did not realize the value of women on their card. Mm-hmm. We were like the midgets. Let's bring in the midget or a, a mixed tag team with midgets. Let's put a woman with a guy or let's put a woman with the midget and see what the fans say. It was not a business of, of how do I put this without sounding bad? 
um, it wasn't such a sexual business as it is today. Um, we could wear, you know, not skimpy outfits, but outfits mm -hmm. that covered us fully because we thought we were athletes. And if men came and said, hey, I just want to see your body, we had no control over that. Today, we okay. have a great control over um, how we dress and who we dress for. Back in the day, I grew up as a kid. I went, when I was 13 or 14 years old, I stopped wearing dresses because for some reason I got in my head, they were a sign of feminine oppression. And I was always an advocate. So if girls had to wear dresses, I wasn't going to wear one. So I went to school in pants um, and was suspended for a while until they figured out that, that the seat of my body isn't where the seat of my brains were um, and changed their policies. But it was just a different time. And we had to wear makeup. I'd never had makeup on. We had to wear makeup. We had to dress appropriately. We had to be demure. Oh, here's a story about being demure. Um, I went to Washington, D.C. with six, no, five other girls. So there were six of us. And we were to be slave girls to some wrestler who was making the grand entrance into the ring. And we were going to go into the ring with um, our little costumes on, veils and long flowy gowns. And I stood uh, by the ringside and waited for the other girls to go in. And they're ducking demurely, that's the word, under the bottom uh, under the middle rope. And I didn't realize I was supposed to do that. So I climbed over the second rope. I caught heck for it when I went to the dress room later. But but you see, I was an athlete. It's come on. Um, yeah. So it, it was just a funny, it was a funny thing in what the expectations were and the performances. Dixie, there was a, there was a rumor going around back in the day that you were the woman's uh, wrestling champion and so tell me about your title run. Oh, George, it was four days, maybe five. And that's I longer than some of McMahon's today. But I didn't know about it. Some, a, a, a person who's on Mick's page said to me, well, you were the world's champion. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> no, seriously, you were the world's champion for four <laughs> days. And then he sends me this record where... I defeated Moolah, and then four days later, she defeated me and regained her title. I was the world's champion and didn't even know it. I should ask for a belt. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, the fans obviously know more than you do. I mean, if you see it on the Internet, it's got to be true, Dixie. Well, it was really interesting that this fan had a record. He was a historian. and he I had... bet he had a record. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I hear that. One, one of the things I'll add to that, Dixie, when you say that the fan had a record, um, one of the things I do a lot of wrestling records and results records of the of the male wrestlers. And one of the things that I found that there doesn't seem to be a lot out there on ladies wrestlers or is there one loss records and where they traveled to and that sort of thing. Um, there, there was a book that was put out somewhat recently where it appears to me that there are errors in it as far as who was champion, who wasn't, or who did what. And um, those things always bother me. So whenever I hear someone is an historian, sometimes I raise my eyebrows and say, well, maybe in your mind, but you're not giving us the facts. Well, that that can happen. Oh, I, I know. I know. Only one oh, he knows. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I know. 
There's only one true wrestling historian, George. We bow to you. Oh, oh my word. Well, you know, the, the strange thing, seriously, Dixie, the strange thing is, is that I think it's because we live in an era today where we have so much access to supposed facts, where anybody just Google anything they want and they'll come up with something that agrees what they want to believe or what they want to uh, put down as history. And that makes it tough, especially for historians. And like I say, ladies wrestling, when I've looked at uh, wrestling results, I find many clippings in the past looking at newspapers where I know the ladies were on the card and they're not even included in the results. And yes. that's tough. That's tough to do because I'll say, well, I know these two wrestlers or, or four mm -hmm. were on this card, but they're not in the results. And so then well, we can't find out who won, who lost or what happened. That'll happen a lot. And for the women, especially, I think I already mentioned that they change yeah. our names. Sure. Um, so there's no record of, I mean, I wrestled as Dixie Jordan. Every time I wrestled a, a Native American, I was Dixie Jordan. So I understand that. Um, and I, I wonder, see, the way I look at it, George, I don't care who was champion. Uh, and what does it mean to be champion? And who gets to decide who's champion? Right. And what does that mean, except in the minds of the person wearing the belt? What does it mean? Um, and the ratings are the are the other thing. I just cringe when I look at them because, you know, sometimes I'm number four. Sometimes I'm not in the top 40. It doesn't matter. Right. It really doesn't matter. I think what mattered is there were trailblazers that set the pace for the new era of wrestling and that they often are not paid the tribute they richly deserve because we couldn't be um, what we are today in wrestling if it weren't for the 50s and 60s and 70s. Dixie, you know, you, you, you talk about the different eras, and it, I think to the younger viewers that are listening to you now, they don't have any concept of how different things were. They see women headlining pay-per-view events. They see the women making personal appearances, uh, being ambassadors for the WWE or AEW or what have you traveling all over the world and in a lot of cases especially now getting equal billing to the men so i think that the, the whole concept everything that you're saying is going to be so foreign to so many people it, it, there's no question it's different um there's no question that i prefer the classic i mean there's no apology for that i i like the classic wrestling um, I have great respect for the people who do what we call professional wrestling today. Um, but to me, a lot of it is costuming and makeup and skin and body type. Um, and the women have enormous skills. This is not to discredit them in any way, but it's just to say that the reason people entered wrestling um, was different then than it is now. For instance, there is no way I would be a professional wrestler in today's world if I were 16 again. There is no way. I wouldn't touch it with a pole. Wow. You know, Dixie, you mentioned about the, the uniforms or the lack thereof in today's wrestling business for the ladies. It, it often appears that they're wearing all but nothing. And I'll at least say that back in the, as I like to say, the golden age with your era, the, uh, the lady wrestlers that I remember at least had what I would refer to as like a full bathing suit type 
wrestling attire on. And it, it certainly to me was more respectful than what it appears to be today. And yet, I don't know who argues about the success for today. It seems to work. So it's kind of a kind of a paradox. Stripping works today, too. Though. Yeah, well, exactly. It did then, too. I mean. Yeah, it it's it. I, I think that's might be the most different because the, a lot of the moves are the same. One mm-hmm. of the things I really need to reinforce, and, and, and I will do this till the day I die, no one ever came into the dressing room and said, I want you to use this hold or that hold. I want you to practice. I, I just read an article on these two young ladies who had uh, walked away from their job. And what struck me is that the article said they had eight hours to rehearse. What the hell rehearse? We would get in the car after a match and drive to the next town, sleep and get up and go wrestle. No one ever said rehearse. They said, we want Betty Boucher to win. Sure, that would happen. But how that happened, we were totally uh, entrusted to make those determinations. And that's really different than today. You know, so much is different, Dixie, and, and I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out about the, the eight hours rehearsal time. Everything today is so scripted, uh, you know, not only move for move, but also, you know, their promos are scripted. They go over the promos. I've been to a lot of independent shows, sadly, where the wrestlers are still in the ring going over their match, practicing their moves and their spots, and the fans are entering the building. And, you know, it's, oh, well, we better get out of here. You know, there, there's 30 people just walked in and, you know, they're not part of our crew. So, you know, in that respect, the kayfabe era to me just blows everything, you know, away on the, the, the modern uh, era of wrestling. Um, I do want to ask you one question and then I want to do uh, a name association with okay. you. When you were in the business, you were in for a relatively short time. You know, it certainly wasn't a Moolah career or a May Young career, the proverbial cup of coffee. So I've got two questions. Number one, why did you get out so fast? And number two, where did your career take you after you got out of the ring? Um, see, I never thought of it as getting out fast. I, I thought of it as moving on to something different. Um, I've my whole life has been spent as an advocate, beginning with when I was in middle school and a girl who had mental retardation brushed by a Christmas tree and knocked an ornament off and the popular basketball players came by and made fun of her. Um, and I had to stand up for her and go to the office um, because, and I would cry because I was very shy, but there, there's things that you can't allow to happen in life. You can't allow other people to be hurt you, you just, I think we have a, a social responsibility to one another. And I took that very seriously from the time I was just a kid. So I don't know really how to answer that. I was wrestling. It was fun. I loved it. I was traveling. It, I met nice people. It was enjoyable. But it didn't give me what I needed. And so in 1963, August, which was hot summer, I went on a Greyhound bus from Columbia, South Carolina to Washington, D.C. for the March on Washington, which was the first civil rights march. And I was so thrilled to be there and to know that my presence, because there weren't a whole lot of white people there. 
or a whole lot of natives. They were mostly African-American. And I wanted it to be a united front to say that we have to have rights in this country for everybody. So I was interested in that. And then when I left wrestling, I wanted to have a family and children. And you can't really do that in wrestling, and not easily. Not if you want to be stay-at-home mom and teach your children the things they need to learn as youngsters. So I left for that reason to start with, but also because I wanted something different. And I took a job eventually at Pacer Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota um, for Paula and Marge Goldberg, who were running this center. It was a center for parents of children with disabilities. And I just fell in love with what I was doing. So I just I switched. It's not that I didn't like wrestling anymore. It's not that I didn't love it, but I wanted something more. You know, and and from a personal perspective, because I've known Dixie for a long time, I will tell the people listening to this podcast that what you see is what you get with Dixie and her commitment to social justice, to uh, people that may be dealing with handicaps or whatever is absolutely legendary, and that's Dixie. So I, I, I certainly commend you for that. Uh, you're, you're one of a kind in that respect. But we'll switch gears now, and we'll go back to the name association. I'm going to talk about some of the uh, people that you may have been in the ring with, some of your peers, and just very quickly, one or two, three sentences, uh, give us your impression of who they are, what your memories are. And we are going to start with a gal that you said was a, a great friend of yours, Tony Rose. Um, that's a good start because Tony and I, um, we were buddies at a time when we both needed friends. Um, you could trust her with your life. She grew up in wrestling. I grew up in wrestling. She became a tough heel. She was great at putting other people over. She was beautiful, but more than that, she was kind and thoughtful and generous with her time. And so I've adored Tony all these years. I still do. I think she's a wonderful human being. And in it, the ring, she was magnificent. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and, and luckily some of her uh, videos are still out there on, on YouTube. Uh, moving on to the next one, the lady that you said was one that you were legitimately scared of. Oh, no. Talking about Johnny May Young. Oh, Johnny May Young was a beauty queen in her youth. Uh, she was petite and pretty and um, soft-spoken, but in the ring, you were at her mercy. And I say that because... There's, there's, a, there's two things I'll tell you about Johnny May. The first is we were taught if you hit somebody too hard in the ring because we would get carried away, the other person would say potato and she, you would stop or you wouldn't hit quite as hard. Well, Johnny was punching the heck out of me one day and I went potato and she said, oh no sweet potato and hit me harder oh my god <laughs> oh boy <laughs> i love that story but better oh, sorry oh my god that's a huge pop you just pop me right there <laughs> <laughs> she would grab her opponents in a 
side headlock and hang on for dear life, grab you by the hair, run across the ring. And the first time this happened to me, I had no idea what she was going to do because we didn't talk about it. She would grab you by the hair. She's got you in a side headlock. She would run across the ring and all of a sudden throw her own legs out in front of her, which meant she was going to land on her back and your face was going to plant squarely in the middle of the mat. And that's where you would stay for the duration of the match, no matter how long it was supposed to be. And she uh, did that to me. And after that, I tell you, when I saw her coming at me, I tried my best either not to get booked with her or to avoid it. She was a great worker, by the way. Um, and outside the ring, just the kindest, sweetest person you could meet. But man, inside the ring, she was business. Speaking of May and her peers, let's talk briefly because we've talked about her before, but just an overview of Fabulous Moolah. You know, there is no such thing as talking briefly about the Fabulous Moolah. Um, I've read all sorts of horrible stories about her, none of which I found to be true. Um, obviously, she was well known. She was a woman in a man's world. She was a businesswoman in a businessman's world. And when you occupy that position, you're going to pick up antagonists and protagonists. People are going to love you or they're going to hate you. Um, she treated me very well. I've never had a problem with her. We, we would argue sometimes over um, the charging 30% when you were making $25 a night. <laughs> um, and I've refused to pay that when we didn't have enough money to cover expenses. Um, I think part of the issue with her for other people, though, is you could resent. And some of the girls had mentioned um, she held me back in my career. I'm sorry. It's your career. What do you mean she held you back? Go work somewhere else. I mean, to me, if you don't like it, leave it. So I had never had trouble with her <laughs> I have a lot of Moolah stories, though, um, and they were great. But there's one I should tell because it shows the kind of human she actually was, despite the fact she was the fabulous Moolah. We had a car accident on a rain slick night in Georgia, and the car slid off the road and turned over. And Moolah and we were tossed about. No one was injured, but her dog disappeared. And we were miles and miles from home, but we had a car full of people who needed to go home and get to bed. So Mula drove everybody home, and then she and I went back at first dawn to look for that puppy. And we found him pretty much where we'd, we left him, but it was dark at the time. And to think that she would drive hundreds of miles to rescue a dog that we were pretty sure was dead only to find the dog was alive. To me, that spoke to a, a level of humanity you don't see, um, but it exists. And I like people who like dogs. Well, I, I appreciate you giving the the different perspective on on uh, Mula, no question about it, because you know she is controversial, but uh, great perspective. Uh, I'm gonna talk about another lady that you referred to uh, earlier on, and that is Betty Boucher. Oh man. Betty Boucher and I wrestled at a time when women were sort of the addition to the card. Uh, we'd have men's matches and then we'd bring the girls on. We had matches that were so filled with heat that a lot of the wrestlers didn't want to follow us and said they couldn't. Um, the people would throw chairs, they would throw their drinks at us. 
um, especially at Betty. Now she was very petite, um, but she was a damn good heel. And I could, um, because I was long-legged, I could throw her long distances, you know, on a, uh, on a hold. Um, she and I had probably the best women's matches I've ever seen. And if I could find them today, I bet you would agree with it. She was just small and petite and rough. And she talked to the crowd in a way that made her seem incredibly menacing and they hated her. Um, she is a wonderful friend of mine. She left wrestling um, because she wanted to raise a family and she did do that. So more power to her. I love Betty. Feeling you are not going to be too enamored with, and that is Tona Toma. <laughs> I don't know her, um, but I did come to wrestle in the upper Midwest Twin Cities, and she called Vern Ganya and told him I was no Indian and he couldn't book me. What? Yeah, they called me in a panic. They, it was like, are, can are, are are you Indian? It's like uh, I don't know what it means to be Indian. I know what it means to be human, but yeah, you could say I have a native background. Uh, Tona Toma was a tough woman, though. She got her start like a lot of the men did in the early days in the fifties and sixties as a carnival wrestler, and she took on men. And carnival wrestling was real. And she beat men, that woman did. And I'll bet you, I don't know where she'd stick it, but I'll guarantee you she had a knife on her at all times. I would not mess with her if my life counted on it because it would count on it. Um, she was tough, very, very tough. And eventually moved to Arizona and set up some training camp down there. Wow. Damn. That's a legitimate Native American wrestler. I mean, she'll tell you that story if she were here. Incredible. All right. I'm going to ask you one more because I know there's a story behind this, and that is Rita Cortez. Oh, my. Rita Cortez was an absolutely stunning looking uh, Hispanic woman, and she moved into one of she moved into the house that Mula lived in. Which, so she was living in the house with Mula. Um, young. A woman younger than Mula, um, who for some reason in the middle of the night took a liking to Mula's husband or boyfriend or whatever he was, Buddy Lee. And Buddy and Mula packed up their bags and left in the middle of the night, leaving Mula alone. It was back in the early months of my career, too, because I didn't quite know if I was supposed to go with Buddy or stay with Mula. But Buddy and Rita ran off and uh, those are sad moments. People laugh about them today, but they're tragic events in a person's life. Um, so I, I like, I like happy stories, and that was not a happy story. I, I like to know that Mula is, you know, has done well. Oh, I have a Mula story you might enjoy. Um, she and I were going to some town, and she had a powder blue Cadillac, one of those big long ones, and she was in a powder blue leather coat with a blue fox collar. And so she was looking very glamorous. And I was on the passenger side of the front seat. And along came a car with, uh, it was full of guys. And they were hooting out the window and making comments to her. And um, she reached over and yanked me over to her and kissed me. 
while she was driving and they were watching <laughs> and just waved merrily to them and they left. <laughs> she, wow. she was putting up with it, yep. Man, never heard that one before. No, there's there's a hundred of them. They're what a great story that is. Uh, just real quick, Dixie, bef before we let you get going here, I know that there's a picture out there. There was a point in your career, in your legacy, where everything really went south. And it was actually, you don't know about this, it was actually captured in a photo. And there it is right there. That is where... Wait, I have to put glasses on for that. Oh, for God's sake. That is you where... I want to leave them off. Your career took a downward spiral and has never recovered. Talk about associating with the riffraff in profession. I beg your pardon? Who the hell is that guy with brown hair? Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, Dixie. Yes, yes. Oh, what? That go have some Cheetos. And and, I, and another thing, have some Jack Daniels with it. I'll have you know that I dye my hair gray. <laughs> oh, you go to hell for lying too. Well. Anyway, <laughs> that was that was a few years ago at Cauliflower Alley Club, and uh, yeah, I, I had to get that one there. Alley. It's the only one I ever went to, and I didn't go. I just went to the cauliflower. I went because I wanted to meet you. How's that? How Does misguided that is that? <laughs> Does wow. that come? Wow. Anyway, Dixie, this has been fantastic. Chris, I know you have thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, I have like this has been one of the most enjoyable things that we've been able to do because to be able to get a a firsthand account of everything that you went through, I just Dixie, it's great to finally meet you. Like because I've talked to you via DMs and you know we've you know exchanged on Facebook and whatnot. But this this has been this has been an honor. And and let, just let me ask you this real quick before we let you go. What do you want to be remembered for your legacy, whether inside or outside of the ring? Is there, when we say Dixie Jordan, maybe not necessarily Princess Little Cloud, but what do you personally want to be remembered for? Uh, if I, if people remember me, and I hope they don't, um, I would hope they would remember <laughs> me as somebody who really cared about other people. Um, because when all is said and done, that's the only legacy any of us can have that really matters. Fantastic. And that's uh, that's well put. Hey, Dixie, we're going to take you out for a little bit. Uh, we're going to bring it home with a few uh, little pieces of business, and then we'll be back. Okay. All right. Man, that was... Uh, that was that was fun. I took her out before she was done saying about. Oh my god! I just I just made an enemy. But she, th that was fun. Like I, it's just so fun to get a a different perspective of things that you don't hear. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we want to do. We want to bring it to this show, right, guys? Is we want to be able to to bring these different perspectives that maybe people haven't heard before. What I like is that she's good people. She comes across as good people. Yeah. And you can respect and, and appreciate what she says and what she's advocating for. And I like to hear that because so many times in this business, we've heard about the the craziness and the unruliness and the, the ingenuine people in, in the business. Yeah. And Dixie's sweet. She, uh, she is a believer of what is good and 
trying to help others. And you got to love that. And as she said, if that's what you're remembered for, that's a pretty doggone good legacy. Amazing lady. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. uh, we got a couple pieces of trivia mix. So why don't you go ahead and get to last week's winner and then we'll go ahead and uh, mention this week's question. The question last week, six man tag team match back in the 1960s, Larry Hennig, Harley Race and Chris Markoff took on Vern Gagne, the Crusher, and their partner, Kenny J. And I asked, first of all, who were the, the six men involved? And then also, who did Kenny pin to win the match? Yes, Kenny J pinned Harley Race. So he pinned a future world champion. And Kenny will not let you forget that either. So congratulations to uh, Al Erke. Al I believe that I, I I believe that I said, did I say that right, Al Erke? Yes, sir. Okay. So uh, you're going to be getting something from Mick, and uh, he's going to put his address and all of his personal information on there for you. Um, let's uh, go. <laughs> Sorry. I'm. It, it's weird to do it at this time of day. You know, I, I, that's what happens. If Al wanted his personal information, he could probably find it in some restroom somewhere. Well, now you started something. You know, I, I, Tubbs, I have warned you, don't give this rat any piece of cheese because he will just devour everything in sight. Let's go on to this week's uh, trivia question. Uh, as it relates to women's wrestling, of course, we know Dixie Jordan was Princess Little Cloud. There was another gal who wrestled in the 1970s AWA, and it's very important to get the time frame right. Uh, she also used the name Princess. Just tell me who she was, Princess, boom, and uh, you get the answer correctly, and we will send you some uh, some merchandise. Remember, 1970s AWA. And uh, you can email Mick. Uh, his email is scrolling down there. It's mickcartagmail.com or george at gshire at comcast.net. Uh, do you want to thank our sponsors, as well, you can see uh, I'm rocking the uh, Soda Stick Skull hat. Uh, we've got the Soda Stick logo up there. They've also been the ones that have given us the uh, AWA, not given, but I mean, we're partnering with them for the AWA Unleashed T-shirts. Uh, if you've gotten it, great. Sport it. Rock it. Um, we'll be rocking ours here momentarily. We've also got something that is really cool, a one-of-a-kind item that you guys are, are going to like. I have a feeling... I don't know that I've ever been this excited to to get one thing, a specialty, uh, one-of-a-kind item for you guys. And uh, I'm excited when we do get it. Uh, it's been a lot of work, so hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Um, also, LiftBridge as well. Uh, have a good time. And uh, LiftBridge, you can see the, uh, the IPA. Uh, they've got some really cool swag, uh, great logo, great beer. Uh, they've got pop. They've got all sorts of things that you'd want. Uh, LiftBridgeBrewery.com. Check them out online. And uh, speaking of LiftBridge, coming up in just a few weeks, our very first live show, June 11th, before the Midwest All-Star Wrestling Cart. Tap room opens at noon. Show at 2. Uh, Midwest All-Star Wrestling at 3.30. Get your tickets uh, right there. You can see the link uh, right there. Uh, we're going to be, we're going to have some giveaways. We're going to have some trivia. We're going to have some fun. Just a uh, a good afternoon of wrestling, uh, paying homage to the AWA that we focus on, and then uh, also the uh, the new stars as well. 
And uh, there we are with the plugs. Let's go ahead and give a, a shout out, guys, and then go home. Uh, Mick, why don't you go ahead and start? My dear friend, Joyce Poston in Davenport, Iowa. I have known Joyce for 50 years. Uh, she came to town the first time as a Bockwinkle Brigade fan way back in the 1970s. Um, just an extraordinary lady, a goodwill ambassador for professional wrestling. One of the greatest wrestling photographers going. She's the official official photographer for uh, Cauliflower Alley Club. And uh, what what a, what a nice, nice lady. So shout out to Joyce. And I, I want to say a shout out to uh, Benny Scala. Uh, he does a great podcast of his own. But one of the things I've just been intrigued with is how he has reached out uh, every time we post our show on Tuesdays, I, I seem to get a note from him or a quick uh, message about how great it was and he's supporting us. And uh, that's the kind of fans we like. And hopefully, you know, I know he can't meet us on June 11th, but so many of our friends can. And Benny, thank you. Thank you for your support of all three of us. And uh, I'm going to go with uh, someone that uh, we all know. It's uh, the Bulldog, Sammy Savard. He follows on Twitter he, uh, he interacts on Twitter. He enjoys the show. And, uh, hey, what can I say, Sammy? It's for you, brother, right there. So uh, thank you for the support. And, and by the way, um, we do see all of the messages. We see all of the DMs. We see everything. Uh, we can't get to everything, but we do see it. And the support, again, you guys, we continue to do just – fucking rock star numbers so thank you thank you guys for continuing to support this thing because without you guys there's no awa unleashed i mean we don't have the opportunities that we have if you guys don't support us so we do see it and thank you keep it coming keep it coming we we love it we love the interaction good bad otherwise uh let us know so um there it is guys and uh next week we're going to talk about the best feuds in awa history it's something that you guys were, uh, I, I think it's, I mean, again, it's so subjective, but there are some ones that, that we're going to go down a lot of memorable, memorable events and timelines next week. So this this will be fun. Absolutely, it will. And, uh, you know, the Shire Karsh feud, of course, is one of those that is legendary. Uh, the last thing I would say, Chris, the, you gave a little teaser there about the one-of-a-kind item. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, is that a copy of Shire's parole papers? Oh, boy. Um, depends. Are you looking at a PDF or are you looking at a Word document? Because I can't. 